Financial experts thought we were in the clear. They were anticipating around six rate cuts by the Fed this year. And then the inflation data came out, higher than expected. Friends, this isn't going away. It can't. The U.S. is $34 trillion in the hole, and yet we keep printing money, which pushes the prices you pay every day even higher. So you can either bury your head in the sand or you can do something about it. Diversify a portion of your savings into gold with Birch Gold Group. Gold is your hedge against inflation, and Birch Gold makes it easy to own. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a tax-sheltered IRA in gold, and you don't pay a penny out of pocket. Text STRANGE to 989898 and get your free info kit on gold. Then talk to a precious metal specialist on how to protect your savings from persistent inflation with gold. Text STRANGE to 989898 now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Following the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from the Great White North and his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard. And welcome once again to Strange Planet. Great to have you aboard. On this episode, well, we're going to talk paranormal, of course, but we'll get into a little bit on the cloud-busting, haunted objects, haunted houses, um, some pretty cool physical manifestations, something I talked about recently, actually, uh, physical manifestation mediums uh, back in the uh, the Victorian era were all the rage, but uh, this a little bit different. And we're going to get into all of this with uh, John Russell, who's been with us before, He's a, an internationally known professional psychic for almost half a century. He works with clients uh, around the world. He also has been a featured guest on many popular radio shows and recently filmed a TV pilot for the History Channel in which he physically explored the assassination of President Abraham Lincoln. He's also been an avid motorcyclist for over 50 years, and when he's not cha uh, ch chasing ghosts around the country on his motorbike, John enjoys reading, painting, making photographs, gardening, target shooting and fancies himself a fair chess player he's the author of riding with ghosts angels and the spirits of the dead and a knock in the attic true ghost stories another spine chilling paranormal adventures john welcome back to strange planet how are you oh richard thank you so much for having me i always have a great time with you and i'm looking forward to tonight it's going to be great i know we talked about this the the first time but maybe people didn't hear that episode uh about your your motorcycle uh, which yeah. is a name and by all accounts a spirit tell me about about your motorbike yeah my motorcycle is named melissa and people say well how did you come up with the name melissa and i said when i met her that's what she told me her name was because i do believe that we can communicate with objects that objects have an intrinsic intrinsic uh, inherent intelligence spirit energy consciousness and uh, so when I when I met her, I asked her what her name was. She told me Melissa, and so there we go. And so when you jump on the motorbike, when you jump on uh, on there, and um, you're riding Melissa, do you just say, you know, take me to a haunted location, or do, does she like basically lead and you follow? Uh, it's kind of a it's kind of a tango. It takes two to tango, and I think it's kind of a tango. Uh, the other side guides me. My psychic gift guides me. But uh, sometimes she kind of puts her two cents worth in. And I'll be sitting in the saddle and holding on the throttle. And uh, I'll say, oh, girl, where do you want to go? Lead us someplace exciting. Lead us someplace interesting. And we always have a good time. 
Um, you contend that all houses are haunted, not just old spooky houses, but virtually all, all houses. houses. Explain. All houses are haunted, yeah. And people ask, how can that be? I bought a section of land, I cleared it, and I built a brand new house. How can that house be haunted? And I would refer people to read uh, The Practice of the Wild uh, by Gary Snyder. And in that book, he talks about places that we assume were always desolate, always deserted, never had anyone there. And if you go far enough back in history, you can research and find out that certain people lived in a certain area or passed through a certain area. Places had names, passages, so on and so forth. And if you will just research recent history, for example, here in Florida, where I live in the state of Florida, there are state parks that were once thriving plantations. And there were numerous, say 30, 40, 50 uh, slave quarters built on the, on the uh, plantation and built out of stone. And when you go to those plantations now, mostly all that remains is a little tiny square of a foundation. None of the buildings and sometimes even the foundations are gone and the forest has literally, nature has literally reclaimed much of what there was. Even that which wasn't torn down, nature has reclaimed it. So nature will wipe things out like an eraser and wipe out the evidence of mankind. And so all places have had people on them. All places have had energies, people, people died, people lived, people died, uh, nature spirits, on and on and on. And another example I give, um, there's a place here called Matanzas Inlet, and it's beautiful. On one side, you have the inlet, and people are there on the shore picnicking. There's restaurants and things nearby. On the other side is the ocean. People are over there kite sailing and fishing and so on and so forth. And Matanzas means slaughter. And people can look it up on the internet, Matanzas Inlet and the story of the slaughter that occurred there. But Matanzas means slaughter. And there was a group of soldiers that were literally killed, slaughtered, massacred on that beautiful point where now there's this inlet and people picnic and the ocean's there, people fish, go uh, kite surfing. And this horror occurred on that very spot. So we're ignorant of a lot of the history of things that occur on our planet. And we're ignorant of the fact that uh, people have lived in many, many places where nature has reclaimed that place. And we think as then we come along a hundred years later, cut it, the trees down, which have grown back and obliterated what was there. And we cut it down and think, oh, this is virgin land. This is virgin territory. It's not. People have lived virtually every place on this planet. And the people that haven't lived there, there's nature spirits that are there. So every place is haunted. You build a new house, you're building it on land where something or someone has already been, already lived. And you bring spirits with you, spirits pass through. So there's no such thing as a place that's not haunted. Tell me about your new place that you just moved into. Oh, <laughs> this was a blast. Uh, we, had, we had actually built a brand new place uh, when we moved to Florida. We lived there for about 17 years and uh, then moved. And the place that we moved to is every bit as delightfully haunted as, as the other place was. But some of the really neat things that occurred when we moved here uh, that let us know that our retinue of spirits continue to follow us, continue to go with us. And I, I talk about them as being my guys on the other side. And some of them have been there since I was a kid. And uh, they always go with me where I go. And one of the really great things that occurred when we moved here, I was setting up my new office and I um, had uh, set up the basics, everything that I had to have to do my readings for my clients, to be on podcast and to be able to continue writing on my books. But there were several other things that I needed. And uh, so I was, I was sitting there one day and we had just stacked a lot of boxes in the garage, hadn't got around to opening them. And I have to mention that when we moved from the, the prior house, uh, my wife and our son's fiance, and then me and her son teamed up and worked together in pairs like that to pack things up. And as he worked with me packing up my old office. And so I knew what went in what boxes and I labeled those boxes with a magic marker. 
and then tape the boxes shut with heavy packing tape, several strips each way, all the way around the box. So any anybody that would have tampered with the box or opened the box, you would have known it. It would have tore the tore the box up getting the tape off. You would have seen if the tape was cut. So the point is nobody messed with the boxes once they were packed. And uh, I remember distinctly putting some things in certain boxes. And uh, when we moved to the new house, got the boxes unpacked, got some of the stuff out, left the others in the garage. I told my guys one day, I said, guys, listen, uh, there's some things I really need for my office right now that I've really got to have. Show me where those boxes are in the garage. So I went out into the garage, went up to this uh, one box that I was led to by my guys. And I grabbed the box and looked at the top of the box. And it was in my wife's handwriting. And it said, John's shoes and some other items. And I was like, guys, I, I don't need my old shoes. I don't need these things. I need these other objects that I really, really need for my office. I need my printer and paper and pens. and Yeah, and various other things that I, I really need, really make use of. And so they were just kind of, you could almost hear them laughing in the background. And they were like, open the box. So I was like, whatever. So I opened the steel box, cut the tape, multiple strands of tape, opened up this box that was in my wife's handwriting that I knew I had not put anything in. And she had labeled John's shoes and so on and so forth. When I opened the box up there on the very top of the box was a plastic container with items that I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, I had packed in a different box <laughs> with our son, sealed it, labeled it. And then when I went to that box that I knew it had been in, opened it up, it was not there. It had been transmuted Teleported. from that one box that was sealed to another seal box. And that happened multiple, multiple times. There were boxes that I had packed and sealed and written on that we opened them up and things that I had put in there were not there. Things that my wife had packed were in there and things that I had put in that box were in some other box that maybe she had packed or a different box I had packed. And we experienced that multiple times. So that was our, our introduction to this house here. The guy's kind of saying, hey, watch this, man. You know, we, we have the power to take physical objects and move them from one space to the other. Teleportation. And, you know, like, yeah, teleportation, literally. And uh, that's not the only time I've experienced teleportation. Uh, we can do a quick aside and I'll tell you a, yes. a really phenomenal story. Um, uh, when my, um, I had divorced and my sister had divorced and this many, many years ago, and we'd both moved back home kind of ostensibly to take care of my ailing mother. But I think really we both just kind of needed a soft place to fall and, you know, just kind of get out from under the stress and strain of life. And, uh, so we moved in to, to take care of my mother and my sister had two little scruffy dogs, little small dogs. And one was always sick. And she was having to take him to the vet constantly. And he had allergies and he got allergy shots and he had this thing wrong and that thing wrong. And uh, so uh, my sister was gone. She, she worked out of the house during the day. And I can't remember if I was still going to school at that point or what I was doing, but uh, I would go in and out of the house during the day. And uh, even though I'd always have done full-time reading, sometimes I've done other jobs as well. And then, you know, stayed up way in the, late in the middle of the night doing the readings. So I had been out doing something. I don't know what. And it was a beautiful sunny day. And I came in. I'd made myself a sandwich. I was sitting at the dining table eating my sandwich and looking out the window. Blue skies. Pretty day. Just enjoying the day. Nice, relaxed day. And uh, the little dogs had been on the, uh, the bed with my mother, who was rapidly becoming bedfast. And I heard one of them jump down, come down the hallway. And I looked over my right shoulder, and it was the little sickly dog. And he walked behind me, and I turned my head back around to the left, looked over my left shoulder to watch him walk into the kitchen, where he was going to get a drink of water or some food or whatever. And as I turned my head to the left, there was a woman standing there physically, I can tell you the dress she had on, her hairstyle, uh, everything. And she bent down and put her face about a foot or two away from mine. And it startled me so much. It didn't scare me, 
but it startled me so much. I jumped up, overturned the chair. The little dog went running, skittering into the kitchen. I threw my sandwich and she disappeared. And my mother heard the commotion and said, what happened? Are you okay? And I said, yeah, I just saw a ghost, which in our house was normal our entire lives. And she said, well, was there any message? And there was, but I couldn't tell her because I knew it'd break her heart. Mm -hmm. I knew it'd break my sister's heart because this woman told me in a split second when she bent down and looked at me and she was smiling. She was very happy. She explained to me that she was following the little dog around, that he was going to die in a week or two. And she was going to be there to cross him over. So he didn't cross over alone. He wouldn't be afraid when he crossed over. I was like, wow, that's incredible. So sure enough, about a week or two later, the little dog died in his sleep. So he had this uh, this large green squeaky frog toy that he loved to play with. And uh, one of my sister's old bathrobes and he'd roll things up in that and goof around and this, that, and the other. So we always buried our pets out in the backyard. A lot of people do this. And then we buried our pets in the backyard. And so my sister put him in, he was a little small dog, just maybe a couple of feet long. And she rolled him up in that old house robe that he loved and folded it over and folded it over and rolled it and folded it and folded it and then put that green frog toy in there with him and rolled it all that up and made this little bundle and we buried that in the backyard and after we did i put a large stone on his grave so no animals would come dig him up or whatever and so much time had passed that the grass had completely grown back over his grave and i removed the stone put it somewhere else and the yard was so lush and green in that area that if you did not know exactly where his grave was, you'd never find it. You'd never, you'd, you'd never suspect there was a grave there. You'd miss it entirely. So one day I had been out and I had a big old Doberman at the time named Elsa, big red Doberman. And uh, I had been out. I don't even remember what I was doing, but I was walking up the driveway. It was another beautiful sunny day and I was in a good mood. And, not thinking any thoughts in particular. I stopped by Elsa's pen and talked to her a little bit. And uh, uh, my sister wasn't home and I was walking up the driveway and I looked over into the backyard and something caught my eye. And I was like, what is that over there on the lawn? And I walked over and as I got closer, it was that plastic green frog toy that we had wrapped up in all those folds of cloth and buried with that little dog. And Richard, so help me, my first thought was that my sister's playing a prank on me, although I thought this would be a horribly cruel prank, but I, I couldn't think of any other explanation. And I wanted to rule everything out that might be natural before I went to the supernatural component. And so I, I picked the frog up, looked at it. It was definitely his toy. I got down on my hands and knees, <laughs> dug around in the grass and in the earth. Nothing was disturbed. Nothing was cut. Nothing was dug up. It was as solid as, as it always ever was. So the powers that be had literally teleported that toy frog all the way through that cloth, through the dirt, up on top of the grave and set it there. And I could just almost feel the little dog like, I made it. I'm here. I love you guys. Remember me. I'm not gone. And uh, I dug the frog, put it on the steps of the apartment that was attached to the house where my sister lived. And... Uh, I went inside and told my mom what had happened. And we sat there waiting for my sister to come in. And she came in. I heard her turn the car off in the driveway and she didn't get out. And she didn't get out. And she didn't get out. And I knew why she didn't get out. She's sitting there staring at that frog on the mm -hmm. steps. Oh. And so finally the, the car door slams and we hear her open up her apartment door and come running into the house. We're both kind of laughing. And she goes, did you see this? And I said, I'm the one that put it on the steps. And I told her what had happened and how I found it. And she went out and dug on her hands and knees around the grave. And it was just totally intact, totally solid. And so uh, she said, here, give the frog to Elsa to play with. Let's kind of keep it in the family for a while since he brought it back to us. But that was another amazing example of teleportation that I've experienced. And uh, that's, that's something that's occurred many times in my life, but particularly since we moved into this house. Remarkable, remarkable. Yeah, it is. Um Tell me about an older house um, where uh, where you lived and all of the wildlife started to disappear. Oh, that was the that was actually the house that we built here, and uh, 
we had made the decision to move and we had such rich wildlife there. I fed crows and this entire family of crows came and I got to know them and I photographed them and I fed them and they came every day. And uh, we had bunnies and we had tons of snakes, which we weren't particularly fond of. And we had foxes, we had armadillos, we had hawks. Uh, we had just virtually, you name it, we had it because we bordered uh, woods. And um, we just had all this marvelous plethora of wildlife. And I had always interacted with them very, very strongly, very, was very connected with them. And when we made the decision to move, they all began to disappear and it began to get very, very quiet. And even the crows went away. I never saw the crows anymore and didn't see any of the other, the birds that we fed or anything else. None of the other wildlife came by. And I just, I couldn't understand it. I couldn't figure it out. And it left me feeling kind of bereft. You know, I felt like I lost all my friends. I lost a lot of friends there. And so we made the move to the new house. And when we did, lo and behold, here comes a family of crows. Here comes some bunnies. Here comes this. Here comes all these other birds. Here comes. So everything like kind of came with us in effect. And we reestablished that connection and reestablished that relationship that we love so much with nature there, we were able to reestablish that here. Were, and that was a really wonderful feeling. Were any of the same, did you recognize any of the same crows or rabbits or foxes? I don't think they're the same, but a lot of them look so similar that it was kind of eerie. And I, I couldn't say for certain that, yeah, this is the same ones, but uh, but it was definitely a, hey, we, we came with you, if not in the flesh, at least in spirit and influenced you know, the, the people there, the guys that were there uh, to come and, and to make connection with you, have that visitation. So what, what is that all about? Why, why did the animals disappear from one location and then find you again? I think it was just to reinforce for me um, that that connection was there, was very real, was not imagined, that it was reciprocal, and that if I was going away, they were going to demonstrate that they were withdrawing that energy and going away, but they came and found me again. And so it was like kind of alleviating that sense of loss that I felt. And I think it was like a, a spiritual lesson for me. John, we'll take a quick time out, come back and uh, discuss more paranormal adventures. John Russell. Hi there. I want to tell you about a podcast I know you're going to love. It's called The Dead Files from Travel Channel. On The Dead Files, Amy Allen and Steve DeShavi investigate the paranormal activity haunting real people and homes across the United States. Amy and Steve come from totally different perspectives when they investigate. Amy's a medium. She sees and speaks to dead people and uses this skill to find out why someone might be haunting a place. Steve is a retired homicide detective. He tackles the case from the other end of the spectrum and uses public records and witness accounts to piece together the history of the haunted location. On every episode, Steve and Amy investigate a different, real haunting to help the family struggling with its effects. On one episode in Falconer, New York, a family keeps waking up with scratches and bruises. They also see a shadow figure lurking around their home. They call Amy and Steve to investigate. Amy uses her strength as a medium to understand who the presence is coming from and why it's so angry. Separately, Steve finds out the history of the house from the townspeople and in public records. He finds that several people who lived in this house died, which matches Amy's findings. At the end of the episode, Steve and Amy share their findings and make a recommendation on whether it's safe to stay in the house or time to get out. There are so many crazy stories on the dead files, and what's interesting about Amy and Steve is that they investigate the hauntings from two totally different perspectives. You listen to my podcast because you love tales of the paranormal. But if you want more, listen to The Dead Files wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. 
Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to redefine reality. This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. And we're back with John Russell, internationally known professional psychic, almost half a century, working with uh, clients around the world. He's been a featured guest on many popular radio programs, recently filmed a TV pilot for the History Channel. What can you tell me about the, uh, the, uh, the pilot? Are you, at, uh, are you able to tell me? Yeah, I am. That was that was really interesting, and it, and it wasn't recently. It was many, many years ah. ago now. But it uh, it was really, really fascinating. And the way that came about, I received an email from uh, a producer that was working for Atlas Media in New York City. We were living in New York at the time, and they were looking for a psychic for a television series. And so they kind of gave a little indication of what things were about and what they wanted. And they said they wanted me to send in an audition tape. So my wife and I made an audition tape, sent that in. They liked what they saw. And then they called for a screen test. And so the producer and some camera crew came out to my house, our house there in New York, and talked to me and interviewed with me and um, found out a little bit more about me. And what they wanted to do was take me to historic locations there in New York and just see what I got. Just turn me loose and and get all the psychic impressions that I had and then see if they could find any validity there, if they could verify those things. So uh, we went to, uh, to several places there in New York and filmed, uh, filmed the screen test. And apparently the camera liked me and uh, they liked what they saw. And they were able to validate uh, a majority of the things that I picked up uh, during the screen test. And they took me blind to these places. I had no idea where we were going. And uh, I picked up some things psychically that went so far back and were so obscure in some cases that they had to research these things in depth to find out were those people really here by that name? Did these events actually occur to this and so on and so forth? So that was really convincing for them. They were like, okay, we, we found our guy here. And what made it really great and what I told them, I said, listen, I said, when we go into these places, and particularly if we, when we're shooting the pilot for the History Channel, anything that I get psychically is going to be the genuine article because I'm the world's worst student of history. I don't like history. I hate history. I don't study history. I was the guy in school that wrote the crib notes and ink on his hand to try and pass the history test because I just didn't get it. I hated it. I didn't study it. So I said, if we get anything here, it's going to be the real deal. Wow. So um, we, uh, we went through um, into Manhattan where the, uh, the studio was, and it was a joint effort between Atlas Media and the History Channel. And I met up with the film crew, met up with my producer. And uh, we got in the van and, and started shooting and went to all these wonderful historic places. And we went to Ford's Theater where Lincoln was shot. And we went to the, uh, can't think of the, the name of it off the top of my head, I apologize, but it's, it's easy to research at Google, uh, the house across the street where they took Lincoln. Oh, in Washington, uh, D.C., uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, where they took Lincoln across the street to Ford's Theater after he was shot, where he died the next morning. Uh, we went to the Mud House, the Samuel Mud House. Uh, we went to all these other historic locations. And it was overwhelming for me to be able to stand where this history had occurred and to experience the energies that are there. And you have to understand, uh, there are some things that are, are recreations or reproductions of things there in these locations. Some of the furniture is not original, for example, it's a, a reproduction or whatever. Uh, some of the artifacts are reproductions. But for me, that has never, uh, never mattered. I could just by tuning in on the energy that was there 
and recalling that energy. It didn't matter if I had the real article before me or a reproduction, I could get accurately what had happened. So it, it didn't matter either way there for me. But of course the locations were authentic. And one of the things that I told people, I said, look, it doesn't matter when a, a significant event occurs, like it, for example, at, at Ford's Theater, um, and you have that energy there, you can repaint the place, you can put in new furniture, you can put in new carpeting, doesn't matter what you do, that energy is gonna still be there. It's still gonna replay in the atmosphere forever and a day, and it's gonna be in the in the wood of the place. It's gonna be in the, the bones, the essence of the place. So all that marvelous energy was still there in all these places. And um, my mission um, in doing this, I had already made pretty much a believer of my, my producer when we did the, uh, the screen test. But I was determined that I was going to make a believer out of everybody and the crew because we had a you know a extensive camera crew periodically, and I wanted everybody to to understand that hey I'm not a phony this is the real deal you're going to believe. So not only would I pick up things from history, and uh, and tell them during the filming, I would pick out individual crew members and start doing readings for them in their life and telling them things that there was no way I could have known about them. And uh, one instance, uh, for example, we were going from one filming location to another, and lest anybody thinks that, that doing TV is glamorous, it's not, it's exhausting. It's like 12 to 16 hour days every day. And just, it's like, oh my God. So there's, there's not really a lot of glamor to it, honestly. So we were driving from one place to the other, and uh, my producer was on the phone with someone that he knew. And I, got, I had this psychic flash come to me and I was sitting by him in the, uh, in the van and uh, while we were being driven and the other camera crew was, was in the van, we had the driver. And I tapped him on the leg and I said, listen, I hate, I hate to interrupt you, but you gotta, you gotta tell this guy this. I said, you're talking to a, a man that's a friend of yours. And he said, yeah. And I said, tell him that he's, he's become the executor of an estate like his his mom's or grandmother, somebody like that. And that he may even have the will sitting there on his desk right at this point. And to make sure that he dots all the I's and crosses all the T's, that he really has to go through this will with a fine tooth comb and make sure everything is really, really executed correctly. So he goes, okay, just a second. So he gets back on the phone with the guys and he goes, Listen, he said, this can be kind of strange to ask you this, but he said, uh, have you just had a, a relative die and you're the executor of the estate, the, the executor of the will? And he goes, well, yeah, but how, why would you ask me that? How would you know that? And he said, well, we're filming with a psychic and he interrupted my phone call and told me to tell you this and told me to tell you to really make sure all the I's are dotted, the T's are crossed and so on and so forth, this thing. So the guy verified, yeah, I'm, I'm the executor. I have the will, I'm a blah, blah, blah. So that was my, my thrust in this thing was to convince everybody in the crew that I encountered that, hey, this is reality. This is life. This is accessible. This goes on around us all the time. And, uh, and then, of course, I wanted to access uh, the, the, uh, as many Lincoln things as I could. And what was really great, like uh, one of the things, there's a, like a, a museum under Ford's Theater, and uh, they had a like a booth there, and they had the door. I don't know if it was the actual door, reproduction door, but they had a hole drilled in the door, and it said John Wilkes Booth drilled this hole in the door so they could look in, see when Lincoln was seated, and see when it was opportune to burst in and and shoot him, and so on and so forth. So I'm standing there looking at that, and I looked at the camera, and I said, "No, Booth did not drill this hole. Booth had this hole drilled." by someone in the theater, like a carpenter, workman, or whatever, that worked there that wouldn't arouse suspicion by being there and by doing this, but Booth did not drill this hole. And sure enough, after we got through with it, they had access, of course, with all their cachet, they had access to all these Lincoln scholars and all this research and everything else. And sure enough, they found out that Booth did not drill the hole, but that the hole was drilled at the instruction of the theater owner and had a carpenter drill the hole and Booth did not drill it. So. There were a lot of things like that that I uh, picked up on that went against established history 
that we were able to prove that my psychic input was correct and the established history, the accepted history was wrong. So that was, that was a lot of fun. When you were in Washington at the Ford Theater and yeah. you standing in the exact spot where John Wilkes Booth shot and killed Lincoln? Uh, very close. You can't get in the presidential box. You can look into it. Got it. But you can't actually walk into it. But I was I was right there at it. Yeah. Is, is the scene replay in your head as you in your yeah, mind? Yeah, absolutely. And I could tell it was like they were asking me, you know, did did Booth say anything? Did do and I said, Yeah. I said he jumped from the box onto the stage and when he did he yelled something. But I said, I don't understand what he's yelling. And the reason I couldn't understand it, he yelled in Latin, six semper tyrannis, always to tyrants, always thus to tyrants. And so that was that was the statement he made. And that's why I couldn't understand it because it was Latin. I said, he yelled something, but I can't understand it. It's like a foreign language. It's, it's not clear. Well, it was six semper tyrannis that he yelled. So I was able to pick up all those things and, and pick up on all those energies and pick up on the, uh, the co-conspirators, their thoughts, their emotions, their energies who backed out, who didn't, who was really, had become reticent with the idea and so on and so forth. But it, it, the assassination plot went so much deeper than most people realize or understand. And there were so many people involved. And I was able to bring that out during the investigation. And one of the foremost Lincoln experts that we had um, uh, said the uh, that Booth's finger was on the trigger, but many, many hands held the gun, which was, was very, very true. And so we, we shot the pilot over the course of a week and uh, it, it never aired. And it just broke my heart because I think we kind of set the standard for what paranormal shows would should be because I always go into a place to investigate. I'm extremely respectful. I don't curse the spirits. I don't yell at the spirits or challenge the spirits. If supernatural experiences occur, I don't scream and run like a small girl because that's what I'm there for. That's what I want to occur. I want that to happen. And we did get paranormal phenomena on film. I remember we were at the mud house and I'm not sure, but we may have been one of the very first to shoot with a FLIR camera forward looking infrared radiation. And the way we have the camera set, um, heat showed up as white on the camera and black coal showed up as black. So we were at the uh, the mud house and I said, I believe Mrs. Mud is here. And I asked her and I said, yes, she tells me it's, it's, that's her. And I said, she's over here and she's walking toward me. And I said, now I can feel her energy. She's walking through me. She's passing through me and now she's come out the other side. And as I said that on the FLIR camera, we captured black footsteps indicating cold walking across the floor women's size shoes period period era shoes footprints sole prints walking toward me and walking through me as i said that so we captured that on, on film and there were so many other things we captured and so many other dramatic moments and it was just just wonderful just amazing and then like i said it, it didn't air and it just broke my heart <laughs> been there been involved in a pilot that uh, we thought was going to go to series and then inexplicably <laughs> yeah. I don't know yeah yeah we'll uh take another quick time out John come back and uh more of our conversation right here on Strange Planet this episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV the Kia EV9 with available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults, with zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute, and available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
This is Richard Serrett's Strange Planet. Follow Richard on Twitter at Richard Serrett. For show information, visit the website strangeplanet.ca. And we're back with John Russell. You mentioned this this pilot and uh, the crew and cameras, uh, which reminds me of uh, another adventure that you were involved with involving two haunted cameras, one a real actual <laughs> camera and the other one a toy yeah. camera. Tell me what Yeah, that was really amazing. The uh, I had gotten very heavily into photography and I had this, uh, this real camera, this Vivitar 35 millimeter camera. And we were having a, a little like seance in, in my uh, house. This is back many, many, many years ago. And we used to have a, a regular number of people that would come over. We'd hold a circle and we'd pray for people, manifest healing energy and see what manifestation spirit gave us and so on and so forth. So I had this camera, which was a film camera. And uh, there was a woman that appeared in spirit that we all picked up on. We didn't see her physically as much as we all just, just picked up on her psychically in our mind's eye, but we all got the exact same description of her and we're able to describe her that way. And I said, I'm going to get a photograph of this woman. I'm going to take a, a spirit photograph of this woman. And everybody said, John, this woman doesn't want you to take her picture. I said, it doesn't matter. I said, ma'am, I, I want to take your picture. I'm going to take your photograph. And they were like, John, she doesn't want you to take her picture. And I said, I'm going to take the picture. So I took a picture and I went to advance the film in the camera. And you, you know, there's a, on a film camera, the, the, when you advance it, the film counter advances in the little window to the next frame and the, the film actually spins. You can see the little cranks over there where you rewind it when it's done, that spins forward indicates that the film's advancing. So I would, hit I would move the film advance lever and the number in the window would go forward and the the little wheel would spin but I could tell the film was not advancing I could feel it I could feel that the film was not advancing because after a while when you've shot a lot when you when you hit that lever that film advance lever you feel the film advance in the camera and I could tell that the film was not advancing, even though everything told me it was. Right, there's tension there because there's yeah. rockets grab hold of the little exactly. holes on the edges. Exactly. For those not familiar yeah. with the actual film, it's all digital, details, yeah. of course. And I was like, this is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And so I said, well, I'm going to take another picture. And she said, John, she didn't want you to take her picture. So I tried another picture. And again, I tried to advance it. Didn't work. Everything worked, but the film was not advancing. And so I had seen what the film counter had said that I was on when I originally started shooting, say it was, was on five. And by now I had advanced it a lot. It was like on eight, 10, 12, whatever it was. And I could see the film was not advancing. Now the film was also numbered. So I said, okay, I, I got to go check this out. This is the craziest thing I've ever seen. And I went into a darkened room where it was, I could still see. And I opened the back of the camera and looked. And sure enough, the film was still on five where I had started shooting, even though the little wheel was spinning, the film counter was advancing, the film was not moving, which is physically impossible. If you know anything about the insides of a film camera and the film's on the sprocket, it's loaded correctly, for all that to happen and the film not to advance, that's physically impossible. So I was freaking out, so I went back out and I told everybody, I said, see, she doesn't want you taking a picture. So I said, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have tried to take the picture, even though I asked permission, told you I wanted to, Everybody's telling me you didn't want it. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have tried to take it. I apologize. And they said, try the camera now. It'll work. But don't don't try and take a picture of her. Just try the camera now and it'll work. And I did. And it worked. And the film started advancing. Mm -hmm. So after that, when I would load the camera with film and take pictures, there would be these inexplicable. And, and I'm a... a professional photographer now and I've, I've sold work and this and the other been in galleries so on and so forth so I know what I'm doing it's no user error or anything like that I would load the film with the camera with film and take pictures and there would be, be these inexplicable whited out frames there would be frames that were completely black there would be frames that were double exposed when I hadn't made a double exposure 
there would be frames that were have these strange streaks and colors and weird things to them and all this. And then after that, the camera began to basically kind of shut down and quit working. And then it began to leak this oil, this, <laughs> this profusion of slick oil begin to leak from the camera, begin to come out of the camera. It could be sitting there. It would leak oil on the table. The inside of the camera was full of oil. I would take it and dry it out, wipe it out, clean it off. Next I opened it up and still it's leaking oil. It's leaking oil everywhere. I'm like, holy cow. I'm like, okay, this spirit, this woman that didn't want her picture taken did a number on this thing. Wow. So finally, and I still have the camera it's sitting over here on my shelf behind me right now. And finally, it got to where the film advanced lever locked up. And then after that happened, and then you couldn't press the shutter release button, it locked up. And then after that, inexplicably one day, the, the numbers in the, uh, the film advance window were up to, oh, I don't know, 12, 13, whatever it was, because I would sit and mess with it without filming it, just seeing if I could get it to function, if I could get it to work again. And it was, the little film advance numbers would work until the film advance lever froze up and quit working. The shutter stopped working. And whatever the numbers were frozen in the, the little window, that just reversed and disappeared. Didn't go back to zero. I just went back to a blank spot on this little wheel where nothing was. And that was the end of that camera. It has never worked again. It's totally froze up. That's that's the way it is. So it sits over here on my on my shelf um, as a reminder of how the other side can interact with us. And then the uh, the toy camera. We were in a, uh, a department store, a big chain store, and they had a toy section. And I walked by there, and there was this Fisher, I believe it's a Fisher Price camera, toy camera, big toy camera. And it had all the regular things that the 35 millimeter does, but it's a toy camera. And if you press the shutter button, it, it click, 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 rapid fire. And if you press the film advance, it, it makes a certain noise. If you do something else, it plays music, right? And then there's these, where the flash is, it has these little red and green alternating blinking lights that act like the flash when you press the shutter button. So I'm sitting there playing with this thing in the store and I was just laughing and just giggling. And I looked at my wife and I said, I gotta buy this. And of course she rolls her eyes, you know, women are with men, she rolls her eyes. Oh my God, you're worse than a kid. I said, okay, I've got to have this. I said, look, I'm a photographer. This is, this is just, look at this. This is just perfect. I've got to have it. She's like, oh my God, you're crazy. So I bought it, brought it home. And uh, I said it in, I, mostly in our bedroom. We kept it mostly in our bedroom. This one, we were living in New York still. And uh, the camera began to go off on its own. And I had looked at, at later, way down the road, I had looked inside the camera. And for the camera to go off, when you press the shutter button on the camera, there's these contacts that are spaced real far apart. And there's two contacts and they have to come together and physically touch to make the camera make a, a shutter sound, you know, a clicking sound. And so there's no physical way for this to happen other than that shutter button being pressed. But that sound would manifest and it started off and it would be just kind of like the shutter noise going off. And then it would be like real slow and prolonged, which is impossible because there's only one speed. You press the shutter button, it just goes off. It's got one speed. But instead of click, it would go click, hmm. which is physically impossible with this camera. And then it started making different pitches. The shutter noise would make different pitches. And then it started going off like rapid fire. And it would like really go crazy. And it would go off in the middle of the night. It would go off all times during the day. And on some of the radio shows I was being interviewed on at the time, uh, sometimes I had it in my office with me, which was next to our bedroom. And it would go off so loud and so prolonged that the people interviewing me on the, on the radio would go, what is that noise in the background? And I would have to tell them the story of the haunted camera. So this thing, we finally figured out that when we had some major life change coming, that it would start acting up and, and going off like this, like crazy. And so whenever we had a big vacation coming or like whenever there was some big something coming for uh, whatever I did psychically or this, that, the other, the camera would start going crazy. And it was kind of like a portent 
of things to come. And so this went on, went on and continued throughout the time that we were in New York and we decided to move to Florida. And of course the haunted camera, all the haunted cameras came with us. Every haunted thing came with us. And when we moved here, I had it sitting up on our dresser in our bedroom and I was watching TV one night and the camera was pointed toward me. And of course it kept going off like it normally did. And where the little flash thing was, I told you there were the little red and green, you know, little diodes, the little digital lights that went on and off. There was not a flash per se. And as I was laying there watching TV in the dark with the camera facing me on the, the dresser up there by the TV, all of a sudden it started going off. And from the little area where the red and green lights were, uh, this huge bright flash went off, just like you would have a regular flash on a camera go off from that region which is physically impossible. There's nothing there to make a flash. It's just a little strip of silver with these little red and green diodes in it. There's, there's nothing there to flash. So that happened. So that was really, really dramatic. And it's, it's still alive and well today. It sits over here on the shelf behind me as well. So those are my two haunted cameras. Any idea who or what is inside that camera? You know, I we couldn't figure out if it was actually literally the camera itself or a spirit manipulating the camera or, or a combination of both but it was definitely a presence that communicated with us in such a way that we want you to know something important is going to happen when we do this and we begin to look for that begin to anticipate that and, and recognize those scenarios and uh, and it provided in essence kind of a lot of good guidance for us along the way John Russell, the author of Riding with Ghosts, Angels, and the Spirits of the Dead, and A Knock in the Attic, True Ghost Stories, and Other Spine-Chilling Paranormal Adventures. JohnRussell.net and RidingWithGhosts.net, the websites. John, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for this. Oh, it's great to be here. I appreciate it. We'll do it again. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Thank you. A new Richard Serrett's Strange Planet drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. 